0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander and as always I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. Good afternoon, Kobus. Good afternoon. Well, our apologies that uh, we we didn't have a podcast for the past couple of days. We've been uh, traveling in different continents, but we are back and we're going to have uh, today a very special edition of the show focusing on uh, China's special representative on African affairs, Ambassador Zhong Tianhua. Now, this was an interview done by uh, the Africa Research Institute in London, uh, an interview done with by Edward Pace, who is the Institute's director, and this was sent to us by the African Research Institute. We were very glad to kind of hear from them on this, and we're hoping to actually have Edward on the show. But today, Kobus and I are going to kind of dissect uh, the comments by uh, Ambassador Zhong Jianhua, who is one of the most interesting personalities and actors in the China-Africa theater or drama. Uh, When we think of the the Chinese in, in Africa or Chinese foreign policy in general, you oftentimes get this very kind of steely, cold... Uh, kind of exterior, where they don't really talk much, they're not known for transparency, they're not known to really be uh, articulate in defense of their policies and also to go on the offense. Well, Ambassador Zhong Jianhua is really not the case in that. And Cobus, what I found interesting about this piece, the interview that was done, is, is once again how truly candid uh, Ambassador Zhong is in, in, in articulating the Chinese position, which we just don't hear very much of, uh, you know, for, for the most part in the media.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what was also interesting for me is how Kennedy was about weaknesses that he sees in, in, in Chinese research about Africa and, and, you know, kind of, you know, expanding on this point, kind of saying that, you know, in, in a lot of different ways, China isn't getting the kind of information about Africa that they need. So that was an interesting kind of admission for me. It was really interesting to see.
0: Well, the, the title of the interview was called, uh, you know, China's Special Representative on African Affairs on Trade, Aid and jobs so let 's take on some of the most sensitive issues that he talked about, and really they started right off the top with uh, criticism by Lamido Sanusi who is the central bank governor in Nigeria, and earlier this year in a Financial Times editorial or opinion column, excuse me, um, the central bank governor really went after China and he accused China of de-industrializing uh, Africa and he also said that, uh, that, that China is basically behaving as a, a neo-colonial imperial power, that is exporting raw materials from Africa, to China and then re-importing finished goods, that really does, in Sumanusi Lamido's uh, perspective, that definitely does reflect uh, imperial behavior. Now, uh, Ambassador Zhongliohan had a very strong response to this COBUS, and he said, you know, that really the experience that that Nigeria and Africa are going through uh, very much parallel what China went through, and as such, it certainly isn't a neo-colonial type of policy.
1: Yeah, you know, kind of. Uh, I think, and you know, it's, it made a lot of sense to me. You know, kind of, he, he made the point that in the past, um, obviously, Africa exported um, raw materials for a pittance, um, and you know, to a certain extent, they're still exporting raw raw materials now. But the fact is that now, you know, kind of, due to commodity prices driven by China, they can actually accumulate a lot of capital and and re reinvest that, and that they need to actually plan how to do that. You know, kind of, very strategically. Um which I thought is a is a really good point, you know, kind of because frequently in, in our debates you frequently have this this stereotype of, of um Africa's relationship with China where the the idea is that the Chinese pretty much have a gun to Africa's head and Africa has no choice but to sell, you know, kind of raw iron ore, you know. Um and I think the, the real situation is a bit more
0: complicated than that. Well, he also he, he predicted that, quote, in time, he, this is uh, Ambassador Zhong Jianhua, expects a lot of manufacturing will move from China to Africa, and that is, in fact, one of the, the trends that we're seeing, and that, if that, in fact, does happen, will undermine that, so that neo-colonial uh, and the central bank governor's case, that it's just, you know, Africa's exporting raw materials. What I think is so interesting is I, I just don't understand why the Chinese government doesn't put somebody like Zhong Jianhua in front of the microphones the day after, uh, you know, someone like Lumido, Sanusi Lumido puts these comments out as a robust defense. It has to take, you know, six months, seven months. By that time, most people have moved on and, and there really is no rebuttal within the same news cycle uh, to, to these charges. I, again, you and I don't take a position. We're not trying to defend the Chinese or support the Chinese here what i think you and i find interesting is that there is a debate there are two sides to this story and in so much of the media coverage that you and i read about these neo-colonial type of arguments there doesn't seem to be a counter argument presented by the chinese that's what i find so interesting about uh, ambassador zhong's comments here
1: i mean part of that might have to do with with you know the fact that within china itself the the government is also you know frequently you know, kind of tends to present itself as this kind of seamless wall, you know, kind of that they don't necessarily respond to, to criticism directly within China, or if they do, it happens in a more complicated or coded way, um, you know, kind of, so maybe they just don't have the kind of response mechanism set up to deal with this kind of issue. I was also surprised by the kind of legs that Lam- you know comments have had, because they just keep going, they just keep getting quoted everywhere. Well, he's, um, he's the new know, Michael Sada.
0: Yeah. I mean, he is the, you know, Michael mm. Sada from much of the early two thousands was the the kind of go to guy for the anti Chinese quote in Africa, and now yeah. it basically is the, the, you know it, it's it's Nigeria.
1: Yeah, I mean, what what one of the big things that has really surprised me, um, or one of the most interesting things in, in this interview, is when he started talking about jobs. You know, kind of he, you mentioned that, um, and he also mentioned that a lot of of Chinese manufacturing jobs might be moving to Africa and that and he also mentioned that africa has uh you know so certain african countries have low very, very low wages which which makes you know manufacturing jobs a, a possibility but that they don't have skills um and then he kind of went on and said that instead of 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 following the South African model, where the South African model has a whole bunch of, of uh, you know, skills development programs that they that they're paying a lot of money for. Kind of he said instead of that, like the um, African governments should follow a Chinese example and move peasants into factories and make the factories, you know, kind of train them which I thought, wow, okay, <laughs> this, is, this
0: well, that's, is an interesting approach. I mean, that's the urbanization yeah. <laughs> process that China currently is underway with. You know, China in the next 10 years will be urbanizing another 250 million people. It's a stunning, stunning experiment that's underway in China. Already, uh, just over 50% of the Chinese population is now urbanized. So this is very much rooted in the Chinese experience. And that was another one of the themes that, that the ambassador made, brought up throughout this interview, was how much of the Chinese experience Experience is actually relevant for Africa. And this is something that's interesting because when we talk about, you know you know, the the Chinese in Africa and the West in Africa, oftentimes people overlook the fact that China still is a poor developing country in many parts of it. China in the Western part and the central part um, is, in fact, there's, is as deeper in cases of poverty than in many parts of Africa. And so there is some, some relevant uh, h- history that can be brought over. I felt like when I was reading Ambassador uh, Zhong's comments, that it was really like reading, you know, Deborah Browdergum's first chapter of her book, uh, talking about the role of the Japanese had in development in, in China in China's post uh, uh, liberation. That is, uh, I'm using the Chinese words Jiefang, um, 1949. Uh, what, what, what is the time? Oh God, I'm lost between Chinese and uh, and English right now. But in there, <laughs> after when the, in the start of communism in. Uh, in, in China, they 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 basically turned to the Japanese to to help them with their development, and they exchanged raw materials for money, and and that with and for resources actually, and so so they're basically saying you know you can follow that experience, and we have a lot from our own experience that we can actually bring to you. So I thought that was interesting. Again, another theme that he brought up. Uh, the last point that I want to kind of get from you on this uh, is this question of defining China and Africa. And you and I on the show on many, many occasions have talked about this, that the word Africa is a, a really useless term because it represents, you know, 54 countries, a billion people, countless languages, uh, you know, a geography that stretches from, you know, from desert to mountains to, you know, to you to you name it. And it and, and really doesn't really say much about a group of people that large. Uh, China's the same way. And it was interesting in the last question he wrote, you know, he said, You cannot generalize and say this is China in Africa any more than you can say China is good or China is bad. China is neither good nor bad. China is a combination of these things. And that was just, that was a really great comment, I thought.
1: Yeah, I think that's really great. You know, kind of it's 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 very realistic. Um, you know, f- realistic in terms of Africa and realistic in terms of China, because of, of course, you know, as we've been hammering for for many 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 months, um, you know, kind of China itself is very complicated. And and when you talk about Chinese engagement in Africa, you have to talk about which Chinese company, what kind of size they are, what their relationship is with the government, and so on and so on. So you know, kind of it's very interesting. Um, what struck me is that um, just to return to to the delay, issue is that to a certain extent he is doing the same kind of thing that he's criticizing you know in the sense that um, you know when he he promotes this kind of Chinese labor model um, he is kind of assuming certain kind of certain kind of Chinese realities um, that you know and, and assuming that that they might also work in Africa and I think you know and and he criticized other people for for doing that in terms of agriculture saying that you know you can't just bring chinese agriculture experts to to, um, to africa and, and because the same the approaches you can't use the same approaches in different environments and i think that's also actually really true in a you know kind of in different labor and legal environments because if you if you kind of you know kind of move people off land into into uh, factories the way that, that he is advocating in, in South Africa, you're going to have a riot. Um, you know, it's not it's not such a simple thing to do um, because in China, it, you know, it happens in a different kind of um, political, legal kind of framework yeah, the context um, than is totally you have different. in South Africa. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. the context is different. What was interesting about, again, about about the piece was how nuanced it is. We don't really see... Uh, This much nuance coming from a Chinese defense and a Chinese kind of, uh, you know, defense of their positions in Africa. And this is what I think is very interesting here. Uh, You know, a couple of the key themes that also brought up, again, you brought up agriculture. Uh, Agriculture is one of those issues that's you know extraordinarily sensitive particularly as it relates to the Chinese and it's one of the boogeyman that's out there that you know there you we see these stories every once in a while that China's buying up vast amounts of agriculture in Africa which are again are not proven at all Uh, there is some agricultural development but people oftentimes make the mistake between independent migrant farmers in Africa particularly in places like Sudan uh, and the Chinese state um, so that is one of the, the misperceptions that often come out, and he addressed the fact that you know, agriculture and self-sustainability is, is critical for Africa's future, um, just as it was for, for China.
1: Yeah, and, and I think he made a very good point that I think is very valuable, that, um, you know, that Africa has a lot more land, a lot more arable land than than, than China, um, so that they, they're not under as much planning pressure as people are in China in order to make sure that there's enough food, um, and that Africa needs to be more strategic and, and maybe smarter, you know, in terms of how they plan agriculture. And, you know, kind of he, he mentions, I think not by name, but, you know, I think anyone who's interested in Africa will know who he re- that is referring to Zimbabwe, um, you know, in terms of having a, a certain country in southern Africa that used to have a, a an industrial agricultural sector and which kind of devolved into a non-productive small farmer system, um, and I think that's that's a real issue, you know, kind of like I I, I agree with him that Africa isn't nearly as as smart and as strategic as they should be about planning how they're going to run africa going to run agriculture in the future because among other reasons because africa is dealing with a lot of land politics
0: within within its societies well the article is over on the africa research institute.org that's all one word uh, do a search for ambassador zhong jianhua zhong another word is jianhua he is uh, one of the most interesting people in the China-Africa debate. Uh, he's definitely somebody you should be following if you don't already follow him and, and his comments. Uh, he There's one other person that I can also recommend, who's a gentleman by the name of Liu Guijin. Uh, those are the two most prominent spokespeople for China on Africa, and I think that what you're going to see here in these comments is a very, very different type of China than we've seen in the past when they're evasive or they're not very good with their PR. We've We've talked about their crappy PR for a long time. Um, again, I, I don't necessarily agree or disagree with the positions that he's taking. I just like the fact that there's actually a discussion going on, and it counters some of the simplistic journalism that actually comes out. Uh, when you fact, you know, when there's a, a vacuum, uh, you know, journalism and, and media, you know, abhorbs that and just fills it with, with a lot of nonsense. And so Ambassador Zhong Jianhua did come up and say the fact that, uh, you know, he defends their positions, and he, and he really came back against Lamido Sunusi which I think was interesting creating a genuine debate. So, what do you think? We'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page. We've had the, we posted this up on our Facebook page. A lot of the comments that ambassador jong addressed have been some of the themes in on on our facebook page we're now closing in Cobus, on a hundred thousand followers it's really incredible facebook.com slash china africa project uh what we'd love to hear from you and what your quotes are so Cobus, if people want to follow what you're reading and what you're writing and what you're doing where's the best place they can find you
1: I'm on our Facebook page I try to be there every day um, and I load up you know things that that I'm thinking about Um, I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesq that's
0: S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E and you can find me as well on our Facebook page and we put our names in brackets so you actually know who you're talking to whether it's Kobus or myself Uh, also our, our colleague Tendai Musakwa He's uh, back again. I think he was lost in Ph.D. land, uh, you know, writing a thesis, and he's kind of emerging from that. So he's showing up on our Facebook page as well, and he recently uh, just posted on our blog. And so I really recommend that you check out our site at ChinaAfricaProject.com, where Tendai is doing some fantastic translations of Chinese social media and Chinese news coverage of Africa and really kind of taking it from behind the Great Firewall and bringing it to a bigger audience. So I think that's great. And I also want to give a hat tip to Eric Meikster, who is handling our Weibo account. So if you are, in fact, a Chinese speaker, uh, head over to weibo.com slash Zhongfei That's China Africa Project in Chinese. So that'll do it for this edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. Join us again next week for another edition of the show. And as always, if you'd like to subscribe, follow us on iTunes, on Stitcher and SoundCloud. We're back every week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast.